0: All right, folks. Well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. I'm Dave Ahern and I have Andrew Sather with me as always. Today, we're going to have a little fun and we're going to talk about our buddy Ben Graham. Benjamin Graham is one of Andrew and I's very big heroes. And he wrote several fantastic, very influential books. And today we're going to do something and we're going to talk about one of the chapters from The Intelligent Investor. If you've not read this book, it is an absolute must read for anybody that's learning, wanting to learn about investing in the stock market. It's actually not that uh, difficult to read for beginners. There are a few terms in there once in a while that are you're going to scramble for. But other than that, it's, it's written, it was written a long time ago, but it's very, very easy to read and it has timeless, Timeless information in there. Warren Buffett was a huge fan of this book, and it helped, as he put it, drop the scales from his eyes and revealed his, you know, insight into how to be an intelligent investor. So, without any further ado, we're going to go and start to we're going to kind of work through chapter eight tonight. So this will be a little bit of fun. So, yeah, the first thing I we're going to say to you know, I'm
2: sorry. Oh yeah. Um, so Warren Buffett actually has been quoted as saying he has two particular chapters of that book that are his favorites. So that would be chapter eight, which we're going to talk about tonight. And then chapter 20 on margin of safety, which we'll talk about in the future episode. And really what this chapter is about is just how the market kind of works. And I think it gives a great overview of how to understand the stock market and how that
0: can relate to investing strategy. Yep, absolutely. Yep, you're exactly right. So the first thing we're going to talk about tonight is timing versus pricing or investor versus speculator. And one of the things that Graham talks about in the beginning of this chapter is he talks about market timing is a fool's game. There really is not much you can do about trying to time the market. Um, investors are people that are going to be looking for the intrinsic value of a price and trying to make a decision based on when that intrinsic value is going to give them an advantage in the long run for buying that company. So they're not necessarily worried about it has to be bought today or tomorrow. It could be a year from now. It could be a year and a half from now or longer. It really kind of depends on what the intrinsic value is of that company and what the price is versus the market. So that's kind of what that is. And a speculator is going to be somebody that's just going to be buying based on what the the time is. So they're impatient and they're looking to try to buy it now and then get out of it in the short term and try to make money in that short term, and that's what he would consider a speculator. So those are kind of the two differences between that's what he starts off talking that chapter about. Andrew, do you have anything else you wanted to add to that little comment?
2: Yeah, I mean, the whole speculator being impatient, I like how in, in the whole chapter, Graham kind of brings up dividends. He doesn't talk about dividends much in most of the rest of the book, but he talks about it and relates it to this where you know, as a long-term investor, you're going to be somebody who wants to hold a stock as long as possible because you'll collect dividends along the way. Whereas a speculator, like you said, is going to try to pick up quick profits and sees a time frame of even a year with no profits as lost time. So there's a big gap there, and I think there's some parallels that Graham makes here in the beginning and in the end of the chapter about focusing on not only being a long-term investor, but also being a long-term investor for yield and more specifically dividend yield and even just tracking that those dividend payments that you receive into your portfolio. And I think it's something that maybe kind of might be missed by a lot of value investors, but I think dividends are obviously, you know, I go on and on about them every single (laughs) time we record but they—they're really a big part
0: of making great returns. Absolutely, they are. That's—they're critical to make great returns, and we do talk about them a lot. But that's because we like them, and they—they're our best friend. So, moving on, the next thing that the next kind of thing that uh, Benjamin Graham tackles is the Dow Theory, and this is one of Andrew's specialties. So I'm going to let Andrew <laughs> chat on this one.
2: <laughs> Specialty, like I can Google it, right? So, but basically, what, what Graham did, and he uses the Dow theory to to make an example of why the timing, aka speculator, is not the way to go versus the pricing and the intrinsic value of an investor. You know, we're talking about those two different ball camps in the beginning of the chapter, and so what the Dow theory is is it, it is. Number one, I I find it funny. It's kind of based around some of the efficient market hypothesis, and we've definitely gotten a lot of heat because we tackled that topic back in the archives. But, you know, so right off the bat, I'm already not going to like this thing. Um, Number two, it's it's a very technical-based as well. So it talks about, like, finding uptrends and downtrends and, and uses wording like, Intermediate trends and just all these things that have to do with you know peaks and valleys and troughs and you know however people like to define these charts, and so what ended up happening with for a lot of the investors, so in the beginning of the Dow Theory and this was back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, there was a period of probably thirty or forty years where using the Dow Theory would have. Really, really outperformed the market with giving you fantastic returns. And in a sense, was a way to capitalize on timing the market because in those times, it was able to buy low during a bear and then sell high during a bull market. And just the way that you know these indicators were created and, and these trend lines were created, it was able to do that for investors for decades. The problem is... It Eventually got popular, so a lot more investors ended up actually gravitating to the Dow Theory and using the Dow Theory. And sure enough, you know, once some sort of system becomes popular in the stock market, it loses that advantage. And so, what what Graham saw, and I don't know what the specific dates were, but you can look in the book. It was some time I think between the 30s and the 60s where investing based on the Dow Theory was actually actually resulted in poor performance compared to just even buying and holding for the long term. So it's, it's really a, I mean, you can't really get a better example than that, but it's, it's just a perfect example of you're, you're, you think you're so smart and you think you can be so cute and kind of outsmart the market until the day you can't. And so the problem with the Dow theory is obviously it relies on timing instead of relying on, what we can control which is what a stock is priced when it's and how that relates to what the business is really worth versus okay the market's telling me that the price is going to continue to go up for a while oh no we see a little bit of a reversal or we see some some tops or whatever you know all the technical terms are so we're going to try to predict where the price is going to go on the bottom that can work for a while but essentially you're you're putting yourself in the timing camp versus the pricing camp and as you can see with how the dow theory played out it didn't work out for a lot of investors and you'll see too which i think we'll talk about next because it's really just a fantastic couple of pages benjamin graham kind of gives an overview of bull markets and i'll let dave talk about you know what what Graham talked about uh, what were the pieces of, of a bull market, but he also talked about stock market history over, over like 10 cycles and how getting in at like a great buy low in a bear and then selling high in a bull market, it worked out well, except again when it didn't. So for a while, these bear and bull markets were very predictable And then out of nowhere, you got like a 20, what was it, like a 20-year bull market or some crazy bear market that completely broke the cycle of all the previous ones that they had seen before. And mind you, this is in the 30s, 40s, 20s, all these older time periods. And it's funny because we saw similar things uh, way past when Graham wrote this. So you talk about the 80s and you know how the the market boomed in the 70s and 80s and then how in the 90s we saw this kind of bubble that we've never seen before so the market is proven to us over all these times is that yeah you can it can trick you into thinking you can predict and that you can get out when things you know before things go bad or you can just get in when things are bad this idea that you can just time it 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 works until it doesn't the the ba the dow theory really proved that and the way that these different bull and bear markets kind of came with unexpected things i mean investors who traded in that way missed out on that 20-year bull market i'm, t- I'm talking about because they were following what they saw in the past and what worked in the past and it ended up not working so that's why Graham has such a big belief in focusing on pricing and focusing on what you can control, and not trying to predict where the market's going to go.
1: Hey, you! What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at StockMarketPDF.com. You won't regret it.
0: Yeah, is isn't it amazing how you know he wrote these books back in the 30s, 40s. And, you know, during the Depression and, you know, all those horrible, horrible times, World War II, I mean, there were so many things going on and he was able to predict all these things. It's just amazing that, you know, even those theories he was writing about, what we think is the old times back before technology, quote unquote, that he was even able to predict all that stuff back then. So pretty amazing stuff. So talking kind of moving on to the bull market characteristics that you mentioned. So. The, the first thing that he talked about was historically high prices, which right now we are right in the very thick of. There's been, you know, there's, there's the perma bears, people that are, you know, constantly predicting the sky is falling that talk about historically high prices. But if you look at the, the PE ratio, there, the, the second thing you mentioned was a high PE ratio for companies. The PE ratio right now, I think, is the highest it's been since the 90s, I believe. And is higher than the two thousand eight two thousand nine crash that we had not too long ago, so those are definitely two characteristics of a bull market. The other one was the low dividend yields versus bonds, and that has been a little bit reversing as of lately um, the the low dividend bonds are going to be a kind of a reflection of The pricing that you're going to see in stocks. So as the price of the stock increases, you're going to see the dividend yield actually decrease, and the bonds, you know, the yield on those have been higher. But with the interest rates going up, the people are starting to bail on the bond market. The, the bond market has actually been in a bull market for over 30 years. I didn't realize that until I read that a couple of weeks ago. And the gentleman I was reading about was talking about how the interest rates have really been killing the bond market when they've gone up just recently, which has not been a lot. So that's kind of an interesting speculation or, I guess, commentary on that. Uh, speculation on margin. Uh, this one I'm not as familiar with. But it it, it does – I know it talks a little bit about where people are basically gambling. They're using financing on margins, so they're predicting that the price of a stock will go up or down a certain amount, and then they use financing to help try to – you know, create themselves a margin that they can invest in and try to make some money, The obviously that is a very dangerous game to play. And that's not one that I personally would ever even remotely want to get into. Uh, the last thing he talks about are many bad IPOs, which Andrew and I have talked a lot about Snapchat and our thoughts on that. And that seems to be proving out. Uh, there hasn't been a lot of IPOs lately, uh, I think strictly because, you know, the market was just such kind of at a flat. Uh, not flat but it's it I don't you know that's actually a really good question Randy why why haven't there been a lot of ipos lately
2: <laughs> let me just look into my archive of all the answers of that explains everything that involves the market the economy the government because i i got i got all that let's 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 go
0: <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> so there have there you know there haven't been a lot. Of, I think that's maybe you know a characteristic of of a bull market is there aren't a lot of IPOs and and some of the ones that have been have been bad. Uh, the, some of the ones that people have invested in as of recently have not turned out well for those investors. So those are some of the characteristics of a bull market. You know if, you know the bull markets go in cycles and they go up and down and that's actually what we're gonna. Yeah segue into is talking about some of the cycles. Andrew, why don't you go ahead and chat about that. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before Nerd Wallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card worth more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerd Wallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial.
2: Yeah, so... I talked about how Graham kind of went over all the different stock market history. And this is something that again, it was, it was, I feel a fundamental principle to understand when you're trying to understand the stock market. So when I create my seven steps and it's in that free ebook that you can get that we talk about the, um, that's in the intro and the conclusion and all that of, of the episodes at uh, StockMarketPDF.com. stock The second step, Is basically kind of summarizing just how the stock market works and talks. Try really tries to condense like everything that Graham really revealed and other really well-known value investors have talked about and have seen. And so one thing that Graham did say was that while you can't necessarily predict the pricing and and, uh, the timing and you can't try to guess your way into basically timing the market what you can do is and he re- he says in the book it's funny he says you know just to feel like you're doing something he says you can change and adjust your allocations because he he really likes to teach and you know, everybody has their different opinions on this. Even guys who say they follow Graham, they maybe don't necessarily follow this point. And, you know, for the average investor, uh, it might be a little bit more difficult because what he talks about is splitting your portfolio into a mix of stocks and bonds. And buying an individual bond is different than buying a bond fund. Um, you can get exposure to bonds through a bond fund, but it's not going to be the exact same thing as far as your, your coupon and your payments and and the price and everything compared to a bond fund which holds a a variety of bonds so and you know i mentioned it's not really something the average investor can do a lot of them just because many bonds are you know you have to buy like ten thousand dollars worth just to get one and you know okay you want to diversify portfolio bonds you're obviously going to need more than one and the bonds themselves don't trade nicely with the broker like the the stocks do and trying to just even screen for bonds is a nightmare because you'll just get all these bonds that want hundreds of thousands of, I think it's even like million dollar lots and all all this kind of stuff. So what, what Graham says is that one thing you can do is change your allocation between your stocks and your bonds. And if you see more of a bull market where you, kind of have a sense that okay the timing might go sour then he says at that time you can go less into stocks more into bonds and you can do the same thing vice versa and that's one way to kind of still stay in the pricing camp while also maybe using your intuition or putting some action into some of the things that you're seeing in the market day in and day out he doesn't say it's like a requirement but he says it's kind of something you can do as a peace of mind type of thing. So I thought that was kinda cool. Moving forward, he talks about the difference between basically being an investor who's like a private if you think of like I don't know, the, the angel investors or the guys who start when a business is very small and, and they're basically like private equity. And he compares that to somebody who's just a common stock investor. So he talks about how the private equity guy would value a business based on. And it's simple because just imagine you're Mark Cuban or any of the other guys on Shark Tank, Mr. Wonderful, Damien. And if you're going to look at a business, really what you're going to look at is how much is this business? Because you may or may not hope that that business goes public. Eventually you may or may not hope that business gets bought out. But in the meantime, as a private equity guy, you don't really get, you can't just sell whenever you want. It's, it's a lot of, it's going to come down to like how many, how, how much profit the, the business is making, how much of that profits available to you. And then the assets of the business themselves. And if that value of those assets is growing, I'm obviously no expert on private equity, but th- those are the general and most basic ideas of of being an investor in a business in that way. And so Graham likes to make the distinction that, okay, well, it's kind of funny how now that because it's a stock market and you can sell every day and, and that that value is more moving than than not, that people move away from having a business mindset and they look towards a more stock market minded mindset and they let the prices that are being quoted and changed every day investors will let that change their viewpoint of what a company or what a business is really worth when in reality there is really no difference between valuing a business and valuing a business that's on the stock market except if anything on the stock market you have an advantage because you can sell anytime you want where the private equity guy cannot. And he says that the most important part of that is that while you can sell when whatever day you want, you never have to sell, you never have to sell. So if you have a stock that you're holding and you bought it at a value that you thought was very fair, even you got, a great discount on that value and you got a great deal and you know you're you're really getting your money's worth on a investment. And if that investment crashes twenty five, fifty percent, you haven't lost that money yet. And the more confident you are in the in, in your analysis of what that business is truly worth and the longer time period you can have to wait it out, actually you have an advantage over the private equity guy because you can choose if you want to sell or not. And for the investor who doesn't choose to sell, then he is not subject to what the market thinks that it's actually worth. He's subject to when he got in, what price he paid. And basically he can hold until, I mean, and and Graham likes to talk about how track your dividend payments and, and track like how much that's returning to you. And then also track, if the the business, how you perceive the business is increasing and separate that from how the market sees the business. And so you'll know that even if the market is punishing the stock, you don't have to sell. So you don't take that loss unless you end up being wrong later on. And so he sees that as really a great advantage that the average investor has and that if they can make this distinction between business valuation and stock market valuation, then they can likely do very
0: well for themselves. So that was, that was very well said. I liked what you were, I liked the points you were making on that. All right. So, so one
2: great way, I really think it's a perfect example that Graham presents in the book and it kind of proves what he talks about with the whole valuation difference separation. And also really hammers down the point that once you hear it, you're like, wow, wow, that's that really makes a lot of sense. So what he did was he talked about a company called the Great Atlantic and Pacific Tea Company. It's a grocery store company. And basically, it was one of those stocks that was extremely overpriced. It kind of came out shooting off the gate and was very strong. And at one point, the price was at $494 dollars it ended up crashing to $36. I don't know if it was a few years later or whatever it may be. But what's interesting is that at its $36 price, there was so much pessimism surrounding the stock. So people looked at a stock like that and they said, well, you know, I imagine like the bloggers of that time and and the CNBC people of that time kind of saying these type of things. And and you'll hear all the time in all different kinds of industries whenever stocks are getting beat down. But they justified it as saying, well, there's going to be these special taxes that are going to really cripple the profitability of the business. And that's kind of the rumor that's going around. And that's kind of what people foresee into the future. They also saw a really short-term drop in the net earnings And it was, it happened at a time when the market was very depressed. It was a bear market and people were just selling in general. So this stock really, really took a beating at that $36 price. Graham talks about how it was like just prime example of, of a type of stock that he would like to buy for one. The market cap was 126. I don't, I don't know if it was million or billion, but 126 and the, Just the cash that they had on the books was 85. So if you think about that, like you're paying $126 to get 85 in cash right away, not to mention if the business even sustains or continues. So people were really pricing the stock to almost fail. And the net asset value, which we call book value, it's also shareholders equity on the balance sheet, that was $134 million. So you're paying to get more net assets than you know than not. So basically even in a case where a, that stock was liquidated and went bankrupt and they sold out all their assets, you would have actually gotten in theory 134 million for your 126 million you paid. That's something we nowadays call price to book below one, right? So it was just really, really great company Um, a great price at that time for what the company was doing. Later on, he goes on to say how the price doubled and then it stabilized somewhere around $70, $70. And then at that time, when it was $70, the PE actually shot up to like a 30. And so what he says is very interesting about all of that is at the $70 price, people were very, very optimistic. You can see it with the PE ratio. And they were actually more optimistic, even though the earnings in the short term were declining. And there was no really and there was no real indication that the business was going to grow much more in the future. And the price was really expensively priced, and you can see that with the PE of 30. So sure enough, the, the stock kind of crumbled after that and it never really recovered even during the time when it went from you know 30 to 70 the dividend payments were always inconsistent they were small it was it was just very awkward so he uses that as an example that number 1 a business can be good or bad for an investor depending on when you buy it so it's not like this binary thing where this stock is bad this stock is good buy the good stock sell the bad stock actually one one stock same company, you know, not really that great of a difference in their business results, but a big difference in how you invest in it based on when you got in, and that's not a timing thing; that's a price thing. Because if you go to the thirty-six dollars, you can see that in relation to all the other business metrics they had, it was really a great value, and the you contrast that to. A, the $70 where the PE was very high and business results were kind of deteriorating. And you could have seen there that there was a, there was no, there was not the same value that there was in the past. And basically you just saw again, how the market can be irrational and it, for whatever reason, really liked it in the beginning, hated it in the middle and then really liked it at the end. And, it's It just goes to show that when you buy based on price and value, it's much more important than many other aspects, and this can apply to a, a wide myriad of different companies.
0: I think you're right on the money about the the pricing and how that is very... It's interesting how you know his thoughts on the ups and downs of the market and how you go in and out of liking the company, and everything is still relevant today. I think that's kind of fascinating to me. Uh, the next thing we were going to talk about was uh, my friend Mr. Market. Uh, This is a section that Graham talks a little bit about, and this is actually something Warren Buffett talks about extensively in his Super Investors of Graham and Doddsville, which we've talked about in the past. So I'm going to read a little bit of it here. So let us close this section with something in the nature of a parable. Imagine in some private business you own a small share Cost you a thousand dollars. One of your partners named Mr. Market is very obliging indeed. Every day he tells you what he thinks your interest is worth, and furthermore offers either to buy you out or sell you an, an additional interest on that basis. Sometimes this idea of value appears plausible and justified by business development and prospects as you know them. Often, on the other hand, Mr. Market lets his enthusiasm or his fears run away from him, and a value proposes seems to you a little short of silly. I think that's really awesome. <laughs> to me, that really explains the ups and downs and the craziness of the market and the wild fluctuations that you see every day. You know, the earnings reports come out every three months or so, and sometimes there's news about good, something good happening or something bad happening. But very often, you know, There's really honestly nothing happening on a day-to-day basis that would cause the stock market to, you know, for the prices of the company that you're interested in to fluctuate so wildly. And Mr. Market, I think, you know, illustrates that point very, very accurately. And, you know, he shows up every day at your office and he's there selling you his wares. And sometimes he's super, super low and you could be super excited and go, Awesome, I want in. Or he can come in super super high and you're like, Nope, not. Nah, I don't want I don't want to touch that. Unless you're on the other side and you're wanting to sell it and he comes in and he's offering you twenty thousand for a thousand dollars. Well of course you're gonna take take you know advantage of that. So, you know, Mr. Market, I think, you know, illustrates the ups and downs and the wellness and the Irrationality of the market we've talked about that in the past and you know there is so much irrationality that goes on on a day-to-day basis and i think that's one of the things that could be really frustrating about the stock market and i think that's one of the things is, as value investors is that we try really really hard to not be involved in and we you know try very very hard to you know stay away from that irrationality and i think that's what mr market to me brings to the to the table
2: yeah I love obviously that Mr Market metaphor is something that Graham presented and I've seen it quoted I was just reading the little beat that the little book that beats the market and it feels like every value investing book that you pick up they always refer to Mr Market and it's just a great summary of how the stock market moves and if you can see it not as this definitive scoreboard but actually this Highly emotional, highly bipolar. I, I, I wrote an email about this the other day. Just this guy who's a lunatic and he's just throwing out prices. And if you can just pick up and understand what's what's kind of crazy and what's, what's normal, you can differentiate from that. And the, the best way to do that is to have a camp that's based on the price and the value versus the timing of the market you do that and that there's the advantage there's where the average investor can make a name for themselves because the rest of the market's going crazy the rest of the market's trying the dow theory the rest of the market's trying to do technical trading you're not going to win in that game but you are going to win in if you can just look at the the stock market stop looking at it as some game and stop looking at what the market presents you at face value, instead understand that there are businesses behind these numbers and that the market itself is actually a lunatic and there are opportunities because he is a lunatic to get into great businesses at great prices. And so as value investors, that's something that we can all take advantage of and kind of sums up. I love that metaphor. just sums up a lot of what Graham teaches throughout the whole rest of the book. I want to close now with the great paradox that he talks about. And I just love the way he says this. He says the, so the the better a company does actually the more the price fluctuates. And so the, the more that the price is fluctuating, the farther away it is getting from its net asset value and away from its book value. So it's getting a higher multiple. And so in that case, the, the better the company is doing, the more it's earning and growing and, and doing all these things. The the more likely you are that you're speculating because you're the farther away and the more expensive it gets in price, the the more that the more that you're falling into that timing camp once again. So, Dave and I love to talk about stocks like Amazon, Netflix, Chipotle, all these stocks that are super high PE and we don't disparage their businesses. We're not trying to say that these are terrible businesses, that management is awful and that they're not creating jobs or creating growth and, and all these type of things. What we're disparaging in those situations is that the market is overpricing them extensively. And so what Graham says with the paradox, what's interesting is that Unfortunately that's kind of the nature of the beast that's just the way that the game goes. The better a company does, the more the market kind of tends to rally around it and really bid it up to really high prices. So you will more what he says is you'll more likely see more opportunities in kind of the more average performing stocks um the ones that are from a business perspective still growing but but in an average way compared to like the, the brilliant businesses, the ones that are changing the world and the ones that are growing substantially. So kind of take that all into consideration and focus on what you can control. Focus on the price you're paying and try to stay away from the various traps and pitfalls that can happen with the market. And once you have this understanding, then you can kind of apply that to the rest of
0: your approach. Excellent points. And often easier said than done but i think we talk a lot about how you know the approaches that we advocate can really lead you to you know a better performance you know with you know everything that Graham is saying it's you know again I come back to you know what a brilliant man that you know he could see all this and write all this you know all those years ago and it's still all true today I mean it's just to me it's just fascinating you know that somebody could be that clairvoyant (laughs) back then that everything that he's writing is still so true today Um, I think that's kind of wraps up today's episode so we're going to go ahead and end it here today like we said next week we're going to talk about chapter 20 which is another very important uh, chapter in the intelligent investor so without any further do we're going to go ahead and sign off thank you guys for listening tonight we really appreciate it hope you got some value out of what we're talking about and again we would love to have some people on here to talk to Andrew and I like talking to each other a lot but we'd love to have somebody else to chat with on our on our podcast as well so send us a message let us know you have some questions we'd like to answer on the air and we'll kind of go from there so you guys have a great week and we will talk to you next week thank you
1: we hope you enjoyed this content